You are listening to the Physio Accelerator Podcast with Trish Wisby-Roth. Hi all and welcome to the next instalment of the Physio Accelerator um, Podcast. So at the moment we're working through the working with patients and new grad basic principles. And what I'd like to talk about today is red flags. Now, the best time to pick up red flags is in your initial assessment. But there is so much to think about in your initial assessment. I do think it's important to have prompts on your newest your new assessment sheet for some of these red flags because it's really important that if there are red flags, you don't miss them in that initial assessment. So let's talk about red flags. Now, what are red flags? They are clinical indicators of possible serious underlying pathology that requires early medical attention. So meaning early, you can't pick them up three weeks down the track when a patient isn't getting better or seriously deteriorating. Red flags were initially designed for acute low back pain as there were certain significant pathologies that can present as pain, but when they display a particular combination of signs and symptoms require immediate attention. So in general, if you're picking up these red flags and we'll go through what the key ones are, in that initial assessment, by the end of your initial assessment, your short-term goal has to be immediate medical attention. It's not enough to wait for a week or wait for a month and see how things go. So really, while the patient's there, it's important to make a call to the patient's GP, or if that's not possible, Uh, direct them straight to the local emergency and I like to get our physios to call ahead and to emergency and describe the signs and symptoms um, of the patient so that when they present people know that as far as triage goes they're of a high priority. If possible it's always good to follow up that phone call with a a letter either emailed or quickly typed up and given to the patient on letterhead with your contact details and just what was the um, signs and symptoms and what is your, your concern that requires urgent attention. So that's how you deal with it. And not all physios around the world have to worry quite so much about red flags. Here in Australia and in New Zealand, and gradually growing more and more around the world, physiotherapists have the great benefit of um, being first contact practitioners, meaning that any person can walk off the street without prior referral from a doctor and request treatment. 
while this is really beneficial for the profession, it also brings with it great responsibility because there are things that will walk through the the front door of a physiotherapy clinic that may present as musculoskeletal but have quite significant um, medical origins that, if missed, can have quite dire consequences. So while as a physio, I think we have really the ability to have to provide a really true biopsychosocial treatment and rehab strategy and have great differential diagnosis of musculoskeletal conditions. That gives us really um, the responsibility to know when something is really out of our skill set. And it's very important in this initial assessment not to miss those serious pathologies that walk through the door that have been masked as muscle or simple joint pain. So how do you not miss a serious red flag in that initial consultation? There are really some key questions to ask in that initial assessment to screen for red flags. And what I'd like to do is go through these. What we have done is set up initial assessments with some of those key red flag questions so that if they're not presenting with that, you can give it as a tick, but if um, you have any concerns, it can prompt you to ask those questions. And I think that's really important because as a new grad, it can be really scary to think, wow, what if I miss one of these really important red flags, but it's so much to remember all the time. So making a little list and having it on your initial assessment sheet, um, which we have done uh, at the clinic as a resource, is really beneficial. So let's go through some of those key questions. The first one, is there associated numbness and actual weakness or loss of basic bodily functions, uh, particularly in the case of spinal pain. Now, in low back pain, that is loss of bladder or bowel function, along with numbness in the groin area, which is a classic sign of quarter equina issues. And this requires immediate attention because long-term compression of the cord equina can result in permanent damage to the function of the bowel and bladder along with the, the nerves that innervate this area. In those people presenting with cervical spine pain, severe headaches, or after whiplash. It's important to ask them if there's been changes in their eyesight, their balance, their hearing or their speech in relationship to their neck pain because this can um, present itself as the symptoms of 
vertebral artery issues or upper cervical spine instability issues in the case of acute whiplash. So it's very important to look at these other um, symptoms that will give pointers towards cranial nerve involvement or frank instability of the cervical spine. So things like if they extend their head, it affects their eyesight, their balance, they feel dizzy or they feel a painful lump in their throat. These are all things to really be concerned about. Now, one of the second things to ask about, has there been any dramatic weight loss recently? And has the pain commenced with for no functional reason? So it's just come one day uh, without any changes in function, changes in activity, no changes in work, no fall, accident or injury. So if there has been dramatic weight loss or if it's this spontaneous presentation, they've had a history of cancer or tumours in the past, then it's really worth following that up with the GP. And certainly um, dramatic weight loss is something to be concerned about. Many forms of cancer can refer to joint regions. Uh, In our clinic, I have seen um, someone referred, several referred to me for low back pain that turned out to be bowel cancer. So if things like when they say going to the toilet um, helps relieve their pain, be very suspicious of that. And sometimes with people who have uh, tumours, they may also talk about bruising or bleeding on the inside of the thigh and there is um, some very complex hernias around that area and one is an obturator hernia where the bowel can get entangled in the um, obturator foramen. So those type of things that don't fit with a musculoskeletal condition be very very um, concerned and want to speak to the GP about it. Female reproductive organs and cancers in this area can refer to the sacroiliac joint. So very often, if they get severe pain at certain times of the month, (coughs) excuse me, and then it relieves, that's something to think about. Endometriosis is another thing that can really refer to the the uh, pelvic area, hips, um, and SIJ, and remember, sacroiliac joint, hips, and lumbar spine are the common first sites of secondary metastases. Now, I've had this many times, unfortunately, in my career. I had one lady referred to me who'd had SIJ pain for seven years, particularly worse at night. And she'd been going to acupuncturist, naturotherapy, lots of different things that hadn't changed uh, this SIJ pain. It didn't fit a biomechanical pattern. It was much worse at night, spontaneously came on. She um, had lost a lot of weight very positive pain provocation tests. And so when 
uh, I referred her to the GP with real concerns and they did a bone scan, it turned out that um, she actually had a metastasis in her SIJ that had been a from a primary in the breast that hadn't been investigated and unfortunately she passed away six months later. So it's not something that you want to miss. In young people, if they present with a spontaneous severe hip pain that doesn't really have a clear history of why it happened, night pain is severe, and it's not resolving quickly. Young kids with hip pain resolve quickly. Think about um, making sure you're getting it cleared with a GP because young kids can get um, bony tumours in the hip. And I had an 11-year-old dancer who was referred to me who'd had severe um, hip pain that kept coming and going, not getting better, but always worse at night. She was a young dancer. She'd had six months of physio before we assessed her. Again, real pain on compression of the hips, of the hip, positive um, some of the stress tests of the femoral head really brought on her pain. By the time she had her scan, she had a grade three tumour in her femoral head and actually had to have a, a removal of the femoral head and osteoplasty. So they're really things that you don't want to miss. Significant night pain. Now, people who have acute inflammation, uh, acute neural irritation, and even sensitization can have night pain, but it's always something to know, to be concerned about, and particularly if it's unrelated to activity and it's much more dramatic in intensity at night than with any function during the day. This should be discussed with the GP because very often they need a multidisciplinary approach, be that whether it's a, a systemic inflammatory, and if you are worried about that, asking their history, if there's any inflammatory things in their history um, is really important. Some ankylosing spondylitis can be more common in southern Mediterranean type um, uh, genetic make people, genetic makeup. And acute stress fractures or you know, um, fractures, acute fractures from osteoporosis can be very severe at night. And particularly if it happens spontaneously, it's important. Neural sensitization, while they may have pain at night, they'll often display um, this, but they'll often have other symptoms where if you look at two-point point discrimination is decreased. They'll often talk about whole areas of sensitization or numbness. They'll often talk about clothes on the area being painful. So it's often a, a different presentation, but always something significant night pain. 
Another question, is pain linked with concurrent development of fevers, sweats and tremors? Now, I've seen this in several different presentations. And as a specialist physio, I probably get more than my fair share, but it's always important to know that they can walk through your door. Uh, the most common I've seen with this uh, have been surfers. So I treat quite a lot of surfers uh, and big wave surfers with back pain. One of the things when they come back from overseas, particularly if they've been in a third world country, classically what they'll say is, I was feeling a bit run down. I got on the plane. By the time I got off the plane, I had severe back pain. Um, I also had a temperature, I had sweats, I had tremors at night. When you put those few things together, you should send them off to either GP or the hospital, hospital to get tested for the possibility of either a systemic internal infection or parasites. Now, I've seen both. The ones I see most commonly have attacked lumbar spine discs and so they'll have acute low back pain but with these tremors and fevers and these presentations need urgent generally admission to hospital not only for pain relief but for high dose IV antibiotics because if it's untreated then really it can get into the the nervous system and really result in quite complex meningitis or infections in the in the central nervous system hey guys phil here just taking a quick break to let you know that if you wanted to leave any comments or ask any questions you can do that at the physio accelerator facebook page this is also where we host our live q a's with trish risby once a month before we get back to the show i'm just going to hear a quick word from our sponsors at astra australia Aster Australia, where you can find Australia's widest and best range of physiotherapy and allied health product. Our complete range of consumables and equipment mean that professionals can spend more time with their clients than on the phone ordering the next batch of products. Download the app, pick up the phone, or visit one of our branches today. Another young young child I saw was a 13-year-old boy who was referred from a GP. He was a soccer player and he had severe calf pain. So when he came in, he was referred as a soccer player with calf pain. When I looked at his leg, he, the whole calf was very, very tight. He couldn't get his heel down at all. And also he was very unwell. He'd had a temperature. And the thing that clued me in that this was serious was when I pushed his foot up to stretch his calf, so into dorsiflexion, he would get a clonus. And also when I ran my finger over the bottom of his foot, he had a positive Babinski reflex. And what those two things mean in that situation, along with a temperature and feeling very unwell, it's possible meningitis. So we rang the hospital, he went straight to the hospital and he was in children's intensive care for a week while they got on top of the meningitis signs and symptoms. So it's always important to put those pieces of the puzzle together.
And the good way to do that is with every single person, find out any past medical history, whether they've had operations, cancers, arthritic conditions, psoriasis, because psoriasis um, can have psoriatic arthritis. And I've even seen that in elite athletes who come in with pain that is in one spot and then it swaps and then it spreads. Um, heart conditions, I think is an important one because I've also had somebody who was referred to me for thoracic spine pain. And when I asked him what brought on his pain the most, he said walking a flight of stairs made his thoracic spine pain very severe. Now, that's not musculoskeletal. That, to me, was warning signs for heart. And uh, he was sent back to the GP. He did go for a stress test. And I don't want to scare you, but and hopefully things have improved. This was probably about 15 years ago. He actually had a heart attack and died during the stress test. So it's always important to keep these things in mind. Now, um, what medication they've been on is important. Statin medication, sometimes if they've been on statins, they can get muscle aches and pains. If they haven't been on, um, usually there are vitamins that um, supplement with statins that stop that happening, but it's something to think about. Asking if they've been previously previously diagnosed with osteoporosis or spontaneous stress fractures, because if someone has a significant increase in pain for no reason um, and night pain is severe, stress fractures are can be spontaneous. They can be from overuse, but they need to be. Um, manage in a particular way with a multidisciplinary approach. The other thing is DVTs. Any history or symptoms of DVT if they do have leg pain and DVTs generally, they will have real difficulty walking. Passive dorsiflexion will be painful and a deep particular pain And I think if it doesn't fit with any of your other neurological signs and symptoms and your other referred symptoms, it's worth double-checking. Now, DVTs can be spontaneous, particularly in menopausal women and uh, women who, in the past, it has been linked to some forms of contraception. Um, But particularly if a patient has had surgery or has come off a long international flight, which isn't happening too much at the moment, but it's something to to keep in mind that they've developed this lower leg pain uh, during a long flight where they weren't up and about. It can be a DVT, and I've seen it in quite young, young women particularly, and uh, one that comes to mind um, Unfortunately, she was the mother of one of uh, a boy at my son's school and uh, she ignored it. It was just severe pain for several days and uh, she ended up um, 
dying of a, a, a clot to the heart. So I don't say these things to scare you, but if you can have a little list of these questions, you're unlikely to miss them. If a patient's presenting after surgery with unusually high levels of pain, now post-surgery can be painful, but unusually high levels of pain, it's good to contact a GP for an operation report and to also ask questions such as, was the surgery unusually lengthy and were there any complications to the surgery? Was their hospital stay very long and have they had multiple surgeries on the same area in the past? Um, did they have abnormal post-operative pain treated by stronger than normal painkillers? Or did they have to return to hospital soon after surgery due to abnormal pain? These are the type of questions when you're doing your initial post-op to make sure that you don't just assume their high pain levels are due to low pain tolerance. And if you can make sure you tick off these red flag questions, then you can go on with confidence to assess the area, work out what's going on and give a short, a medium and a long-term plan. I think physios in Australia are very well trained in general. However, those first few years when you come to private practice, there is so much to remember, so much to know. It really can be very intimidating. So having these cheat sheets, and I've put together uh, just a two-page handout uh, that goes with this podcast that will help you with some of these questions and the things to look for. So I'm not here to make you scared. Hopefully you don't see many of these red flags at all, but if you do then and you pick it up, the patient will be very thankful. The GP will be very thankful and, you know, even the hospital will be very appreciative that you have rung ahead and let them know the high priority. I'll finish off with a story and hopefully this doesn't happen to you, but I had been in private practice for approximately three years and a lady brought her husband in who had severe headaches and had been seeing a chiropractor three times a week for the last six months to try to get on top of these headaches. And they'd actually got worse. And now he was starting to have severe changes to his eyesight. So I sat him down in the chair and I started talking to him. And it was very evident he had one fixed dilated pupil. And a fixed dilated pupil, unless they've had an eye injury and they know about it, can be a concern with vertebral artery. So I didn't do a lot of assessment. I laid him down on the horizontal on the bed and I said to him, what brings on your 
your changes in your eye and the pain behind your eye. And he said, if I look up and I just turn my head a little bit to the left, I get a severe pain behind my eye and it affects my eyesight. That was my assessment. I got two sandbags, put it next to either side of his head and we called an ambulance. He didn't have a GP. Didn't look good for the practice to have an ambulance put pull up outside and take this gentleman out. Anyway, he was taken to emergency and the results of that was that he had bilateral aneurysms in both vertebral artery and um, he, he could have died at any time. If I'd done any mobilising on that neck, then really it it would have been my responsibility if something happened. He had emergency surgery uh, to both vertebral arteries and he did lose partial sight in one eye, but uh, other than that, he made a full recovery. So when things don't add up, you're very intelligent. When things don't add up, there's usually a reason they don't add up because there's something else going on. So I hope this gives you some pointers about red flags. I don't want to scare you, but hopefully even in years to come, if some of these things come across your um, your treatment table, then you will remember me telling you some of these stories and uh, hopefully it will stand you in good stead for picking up those red flags. Best wishes and uh, hopefully you found this useful. Thank you for listening to the Physio Accelerator podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, head to thephysioaccelerator.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our email list for more great insights from Trish and information about our upcoming courses. Before you go, if you think of a friend or a colleague who would benefit from listening to this podcast, make sure you send it their way. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.